Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. And this week we're talking to Leila Akai. She's the founder and director of Diverse Minds UK. She's also a speaker, coach, trainer, and the host of the award-winning Diverse Minds podcast. We're going to be chatting to her about podcasting, work, quality, and well-being. So Diverse Minds is a consultancy, a boutique consultancy, and we do training, coaching, and consultancy on mental health and well-being, but with a specific focus looking at culture and race. So I always say there are two bits to it, really. Um, non-clinical mental health, you know, how to have conversations, how managers can support their staff. And then the second bit, which is all about race equity, looking at culture, individual culture, the culture of an organisation. Um, and the two meet together in a kind of Venn diagram overlap, which is how to look at mental health support that supports people look at with a cultural background thinking about it's not one size fits all how can we take into account culture and cultural experiences if we want to support our staff with their mental well-being but also mental ill health recovery mm, fantastic um, and why did you want to set it up what drove you to set it up to start with yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I'm laughing because I never expected to have my own business. So lots of people, I know that's their dream. I know that it's what they want to do. Um, that definitely wasn't the case with me. Um, so it kind of grew really when I was head of uh, the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Centre at Imperial College London. Uh, what happened was um, I kind of did a lot of work on mental health and well-being, and other organisations, in particular colleagues at other universities would say, oh, it's really great what you've done. Can you come and talk to us? 
us. Um, can you tell us a little bit more? So I'd go, I'd give talks and um, it sort of kept happening. And my manager said, you can go. But of course, any money that you make needs to go into the departmental budget. And I said, fine. And I used to use it for my team away days. Then it kept happening. So I bought extra annual leave and then it kept happening. And I thought, mm, this is interesting. Maybe there's something in this. And I did a business accelerator course um, and it kind of just started from there. So it was very organic. Um, I would never have thought there was so much mileage in it. So it's been a fascinating journey for me. Mm. Can you tell us a bit sort of about the the kind of practical work um, that you do with businesses? Because it sounds like it is sort of really needed. Um, but how do you actually go about sort of achieving those aims? Mm. Yes. So I think one of the things I would say is that many organizations and I think this is across the board with all training whether it be health and safety whether it be um, policy writing whatever it is people think it is a one and done and unfortunately I wish it were I wish we had magic wands but it's not the case so um, you know I know there's some great organizations out there that do work on in-depth policy I tend to sort of come in when organizations have a framework and they want to then uh, educate people provide toolkits and have an ongoing um, portfolio of work because I think practically it, it's conversations it's making sure that their toolkits in place it is training it's also team coaching individual one-to-one -one coaching with managers problem solving um, and all the free materials that I have available because I think if we just have one training course it's like when you read a book if you read any kind of self-help book and actually this happened to me the other day I was flicking through something and I'd read this book and I thought oh gosh I'm, I must go back and reread it because I'm not I don't remember all of it um, <laughs> so even though we absorb things and we might use some things it's that constant reiteration and the different ways that people need to do that um, so I see myself as part of a much bigger picture in that sense I think um, when a workplace is coming to you, they're kind of going in the right direction already. Mm. But what about what are workplaces typically doing wrong or not getting right about mental health in the workplace? Mm. Um, I think it's this reactive, not proactive. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I often as well don't think that policies and procedures are fit for purpose. So it's very rare that um, policies... Yes, templates are really helpful, but I think you then have to go out to your staff if you have staff networks and get feedback on it. I think policies can also be written from a very limited perspective. Um, so let's say if it's a big organisation, it's thought that, OK, this policy is for all the desk workers, for example. And if you've got big facilities teams or even small facilities teams that don't work in that way, they're running around buildings, they're taking calls, they're on their walkie talkies, uh, that necessarily that policy isn't going to be fit for purpose. So I think that's one huge blind spot. I think the reactive rather than proactive, because again, uh, it, I, it, we have a bit of a short termist mindset in this country generally um, around, oh, well, we'll fix it when it's broken. But I think why, why aren't organisations looking at this that if, if this were the case, so much more of an anticipatory approach rather than a reactive approach. And I think that is one of the biggest pitfalls that I see. Um, also, it can be a case where there are some brilliant people in an organisation who lead on this agenda. And then when they go, that's it. It's gone. And all that knowledge dissipates and disappears. So, again, thinking about the knowledge transfer, how the learning is captured and what needs to be done. I think the reactive note is really interesting when it comes to kind of race and diversity because I know god someone before last now there was a really big move for a lot of workplaces to go like 
yes, we're about diversity, Black Lives Matter, etc. Do you feel like you notice that as a movement and do you feel like it's going to be long lasting? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question, Ellen, because I feel like, um, as, a, as a very dear colleague said to me once, Black Lives Only Matter for so long, mm-hmm. and I feel like we've already seen some of that. It's almost like, well, we're sick of talking about it now, for goodness sake, mm-hmm. uh, it's done, we've done that. 2020 was our year for Black Lives Matter, and now we're going to be talking about whatever it is. Um, so unfortunately, I feel that the longevity, I'm seeing it drift off. Mm -hmm. I don't feel there's been enough understanding about it. And for me, the biggest issue is that people really hate experiencing discomfort. So people who haven't had to live discomfort day to day, then have to talk about these topics that they may find uncomfortable, triggering, um, maybe causes guilt, they just want to avoid it. And for those of us who have to live it every day, and that's not you know, it's about race, it's also about gender, it can be about disability status, socioeconomic status. We live with this discomfort every day. So I think people have a role to understand that this work isn't easy and that you have to experience that discomfort to get to the other side, but very few people are willing to do that work or recognise it. What should workplaces be doing in terms of the diversity side of things, but also their mental health as well? Mm. So I would say one of the things is, you know, especially with large companies, but even smaller ones, if you do are using an employee assistance program or some kind of service that supports people, ask the questions around how easy is it for how easy would it be for my staff to access culturally diverse support? So if they want a counsellor from a particular background, if they want to have a conversation with someone from a particular background, how easy would it be and how easily could you find someone or connect them with? I think it's also about promoting the wonderful services that are there and that definitely need funding. So promoting things like the Black and Asian, Black, Asian and African Therapy Network, things like Muslim Youth Helpline, um, Black Noir, which specifically help LGBTQIA plus communities from black backgrounds as as a few examples. Um, And also, you know, why not choosing one of these organisations as your charity of the year and fundraising for them and making sure that the name gets out there? Those are quite simple things to do. Um, I think remembering as well that when we have conversations with someone as managers or colleagues and we encourage them to seek support, it's a case as well that they may not want to do it because if they've tried to do that before and let's say the incident, uh, the mental ill health or the the low period is related to uh, racism or a particular identity strand, um, they may have had to go and see someone and had to explain it and that's very exhausting in a counselling context. So understanding that this going to therapy is is really helpful but their journey to get there is not necessarily going to be the same as someone whose mental ill health triggers are not related to identity if you like. It does sound really important to to move people away from the the one and done model when you said that it sort of really sort of stuck in my mind because I think um, a lot of people have kind of experienced that sort of from workplaces maybe getting on board with um, as Ellen said sort of Black Lives Matter and posting a, a black square or um, for for mental health stuff you know posting lots of stuff on social media for world mental health day but then it all sort of disappears um so what can people sort of put in place in workplaces to support people long term Mm -hmm. so i know um something that works really well is the mental health first aid course again i'm not saying it's perfect um 
and it's a case of yes people do the training but then what does that actually mean so putting the procedures around there and being really clear about what those mental health first aiders are for i think having regular events drop-ins information being sent out about mental health and well-being and that could be i'm thinking about lots of things at the moment financial well-being this is huge and it's become much more magnified as a result of covid we've got the cost of living crisis everything that's happening in the world right now um, and maybe theming it per month and linking it to awareness events so for example you have brew monday in january um, so come and drop in have a cuppa have a virtual cuppa have a face-to-face -face cuppa and um, February, mental health and love. We're not talking about romantic relationships, but how can we connect in the workplace? How can we create connection when we're working in a hybrid way? And I think then by having these strands and linking it to certain things going on in the month, you're going to cover far more people. Um, I can't un overestimate really the importance of constantly promoting services that are available, whether they're in-house or whether they're external. So promoting websites like Hub for Hope, where people can type in their postcode and find mental health services available to them. Talking about topics that maybe people don't feel very comfortable talking about, but we know have become much more focused, like bereavement. And so many people from various communities and cultures have not been able to complete burial rites in a way that works for them due to restrictions and COVID and everything that's been going on. So appreciating that. Um, so I think it's really making an effort, making sure it's not a bolt on, that it's integral to agendas, that people can have a check in. How are we all using different tools you know talking about stress as a door opener for people then being able to talk about mental well-being and also mental ill health but of course mental health recovery and things that work for them communication really really basic i think one of the biggest issues with mental ill health in the workplace is because people aren't communicated with properly. Uh, if we think about mergers, change of line managers, acquisitions, often it's very, very hush-hush. People aren't given timelines. You know, I've been in situations where uh, someone came in on a Thursday with crates and said, oh, you're moving on Monday, and no one had a clue. Um, now, that's not great. And if someone has, let's say, had a background where they've been in foster care and been moved homes, that's going to be incredibly triggering, but they may not be able to talk about it in the workplace. So it's thinking about all these things and joining the dots, I think, that's that's really the key. And remembering that an organisation has a culture, individually we have a culture, and everyone's culture is going to be different given their cultural circumstances, background and lived experiences. Absolutely. Um, obviously, you, you work on this day to day and, and it's your business now. Um, but are you happy to talk to us a little bit about your own experiences um, in terms of talking about and getting support for uh, mental health stuff in the workplace yourself? Or is that not something that you personally sort of dealt with? No, I have actually. Um, and uh, one of the things I was, I had to, it's, it's an interesting story on advocacy. And if I didn't know, and if I hadn't been in the position I was in, I don't know if I would have been able to advocate for myself in this way. So um, I had a very sort of challenging family circumstances and I wanted to get some support. Um, and I thought it, it, it took me a while to build up courage. And I remember phoning up the employee assistance program and saying, look, I really need someone from a black global majority diaspora background and they said oh oh gosh okay um oh and they rang me back and they said oh we've got we found someone who's half turkish for you and i said 
okay, I think you can go back and look a bit harder. Um, <laughs> and they did actually, and they did find me someone brilliant um, who was from a black background and it was, it was absolutely brilliant for me. But uh, if I hadn't known how to do that, and if I hadn't really dug my heels in, um, and someone who had been maybe more fearful of calling than me, who really didn't believe it was confidential, and I did believe it was confidential, uh, that, that would have been really, really tough. So again, that highlighted the importance of being really, really clear about this and sharing that message. Um, so I had a very positive experience, but you know, previously not so much uh, when I was younger and I didn't know how to advocate for myself. And I got someone who actually looking back really wasn't suitable for me. And I had to sit there explaining certain things, which uh, eroded the time and just made me feel exhausted. So yes, I do have um, personal experience of that. I think that's such a good kind of anecdote there about well we've got someone who's half Turkish and the fact that you were able to go back and go like no that's not acceptable but I think you're right so many people won't feel able to do that because it's a lot of it's work it's emotional work and mental work how do we empower people to know that you can push back and you can ask for what you actually need mm. Yeah, so, you know, that's a great question. And I guess there's several ways that we could do that. I think, um, you know, on intranet sites where you have information about that, maybe providing some questions or a download. Um, again, having, I don't think it's always common people having regular meetings with their employee assistance account manager, uh, program account manager, um, and saying, well, look, how can we, you know, can we showcase a counselor of the month? Can we do this kind of work? So people get a flavor of the, the kind of um, counsellors and the way in which you work as an EAP, because sometimes, again, if you don't know about it, it can feel very closed off. Um, showcasing videos, I think as well, public videos that are available, finding the right therapist for you. Um, and I think just remembering, encouraging people, like Mental Health Foundation has a really great guide about talking to your GP about mental health. So I think sharing resources like that, because it's similar principles. Um, of course, we respect medical professionals, but sometimes they you have to phrase things in a certain way for them to hear it and understand it in the way that it's, it's, it's intended. Um, so I think it's about framing it, about being really clear and having this regular platforms and exchanges with services that are commissioned so they also understand what staff need mm, absolutely um i'd like to talk a bit um now about your award-winning podcast uh, also called diverse minds the diverse minds podcast um tell us about that and um your sort of ideal guests and also some of the highlights um of, of that other than them winning an award which is fantastic um yeah tell us about that and sort of episode to episode what your aims are with it Oh, thanks, Yvette. Yeah. So, um, again, it, the reason the podcast started, and I'm laughing again, is because uh, in terms of content, I don't really enjoy writing blogs. So I thought, crikey, I've really got to change this. And um, I'd always wanted to, a spoken word comes much more easily to me. So that, again, that's how it started. And the whole idea is to showcase voices that may not always be heard. So predominant, most of my guests are women of colour. And we talk about again, the, the topic of mental health and inclusion, um, how they come together, different topics from menopause to caring responsibilities uh, to um, how different techniques can improve our mental well-being from dance. Um, I've got a drum and bass DJ coming on in April. Uh, so 
just try to be as broad as possible and to give people an opportunity um, to speak about things and also for me to speak about things I don't feel are talked about enough. So um, one episode, for example, was around tackling how can we tackle anti-blackness in South Asian communities, which is present and prevalent um, and unfortunately either ignored or not talked about or people don't necessarily want to talk about it. Again, going back to my point about discomfort um, and representing different viewpoints and trying to bust myths, really, but also a space where people, if they're too afraid to maybe reach out for help initially, that some of my guests can reassure and talk about their own lived experiences and journeys and it's not necessarily about having the most superstar famous people on or that that would be great but it's more about these are the day-to-day experiences of people who are just like you listeners um, and really building that sense of cultural pride because when we can see people who we can identify with talking about mental ill health and recovery and, and the techniques they use we can say aha they've done it I don't feel so alone maybe I can do it too and I think that for me is the kind of ethos and the premise of my podcast yeah it's fantastic and it's really great mixture and um I think we feel similar kind of on mentally yours in terms of I mean we do love having famous people on but we really love talking to kind of everyday people um as well if not more so sometimes to be honest (laughs) um what have you learned from hosting the podcast and what are some of the kind of key standout episodes that you've you've had yeah, there's always so much to learn, isn't there? I think we're always learning as podcast hosts, and I'm, I'm, I'm one, yeah, I wonder if you agree with me on that one. Yeah. yeah, you're always evolving, aren't you, and how you present things, how you tell the stories, how you engage people. Um, and I think I'm always, always learning from my guests. So standout episode in terms of my own personal learning was with Dipti Tate when she was talking about grief um, and what grief means and how it's not simply grief in terms of bereavement but we can grieve in so many different ways over so many different circumstances and that was a real eye-opener for me um and definitely had a you know uh, yeah just 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 a huge eye-opener and light bulb moments for me um I think as well just we I always ask my guests what are your top three mental health tips and none of them have the identical three so always learning from that and again I think that is super helpful for people to consider their own well-being plans and toolkits Um, you know some people talk about nutrition some people talk about oh I do a fake commute or I come home even if I've been at my desk all day at home I'll go upstairs and I'll put on different clothes so I feel like I can close the day Um, and I just love I love that because again useful practical non-expensive things that people can implement quite easily. Uh, It's not telling people what to do. Um, And then hearing people's lived experiences and journeys. So what you see is not what you get. Sometimes I think people have have had amazing uh, opportunities and really they fought tooth and nail for everything they have. Um, And again, I think that's, to use a cliche, you know, it is inspiring, but it's also very humbling um, and that people are so open and willing to share their journeys with us on on the podcast. If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116 123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org.
You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm.